this video clip beautifully illustrates the attitude uh, of those who are selfish. Remember he said everybody has a set of guiding values, and whether they know or not that they have a set of values, everybody has them. Because whatever you value will determine how you live your life. And we saw in this video clip people who have the value of selfishness. And in fact, did you know that every one of us actually uh, is born, has inherited this um, selfish value from our forefathers? Did you know that? We got it from our parents, and they got it from their 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 parents, and they, okay, I, I can stop now, but you get the gist, right? It comes all the way from Adam and Eve. They've inherited this value. We've all inherited this value of selfishness. Now, here's the thing. When you became a Christian, God came into your life, and he wants to change your value system. He wants you to live by a different set of rules, by a different set of guiding principles. He wants you to be unselfish. Now, for these people in this video clip, for, for them, church was only meaningful if they could get what they wanted. And this is so, so true with so many people. Uh, it's got to be my way or it's the... Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know people like that. Do it my way. Uh, follow my agenda. Do things the way I want it done, Pastor, and I'll be a faithful supporter. But don't you dare step out of line, Pastor, because the minute you do, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, you won't be getting my tithes anymore. So these people in this video clip, uh, rather than serving their church, they were actually serving their own purposes. Over the years, um, I've, been in, I've been in the ministry now for 27 years, and uh, most of them have been in, in the pastorate. But uh, I have, over the years, I've had people who have demanded all sorts of things. Um, we've had people demand that they serve on the board. Imagine coming into a church and saying, well, uh, you know, this looks like a small enough church, and uh, this looks like a church where I could be a board member. Uh, that kind of thinking just blows my mind. I can't even get my head around that kind of thinking. But believe it or not, there are people like that. The only way they're going to come to church is if they can serve on the board. And there are people who have demanded that, that the only way they'd come to this church is if they'd be hired, come on staff. Uh, yeah, that's true. I'm not making this stuff up. Um, I've had people demand that they'd be able to sing on platforms, sing solos, uh, be able to play in the band. I've had people demand that they should be able to preach once in a while. That's what I say. <laughs> I've had people demand that they have lead roles in plays, that they, that they should be able to start ministries or special programs in the church. I've had people demand that they be paid for every little thing that they do. And uh, these are the kinds of people that if they don't get what they want, then they keep hopping from church to church to church until they find the place where they can be the big fish in the little pond. Now, I have made it my, um, I've made it my policy never to be manipulated and controlled by these kinds of people. When I was in Bible school, there was a student who, um, uh, who had it in her head that she was actually quite an amazing singer. Uh, she told me that she traveled with her family from, um, from village to village, town to town, church to church, and she said with her whole family they would sing. And so when she came to Bible school, she expected that she'd be allowed to sing in the premier group at the college, and at that time it was called College Bond. Uh, no, common bond, pardon me, college bond, common bond. And uh, some of us called it common bondage, but <laughs> that's another story. But it was, uh, it was the group, and uh, she wa felt that she should be able to sing in it. She auditioned for, the par for, the, you know, for a part in that group, but she wasn't allowed in. 
Now, after she came out of the addition, she was so angry, so furious at the college, at the music instructor. She was mad at the other students who got into the group. And she went around telling everybody what a, what a second-rate, second-class Bible school and what a second-rate uh, music group that was going to be because she was not going to be in it. Now, the problem with her was that she's a little tone deaf. <laughs> you cannot sing in a... In a a special ensemble if you can't carry a tune. And so one of our teachers unwisely thought he would do her a favor because he felt sorry for her, and he let her lead, uh, sing a lead role in um, an Easter drama that took place at the big church in Saskatoon. I can tell you that there was absolutely no one edified in that church except her. As she sang this song, she closed her eyes, she raised her hands, and then what came out was something that was extremely startling. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was extremely hard to listen to. And so what happened is that rather than being able to bless this girl, now what happens is you've got a whole congregation who has come here to see this, this passion play, the passion of the Christ. These people who have been halfway, I mean, halfway through the production, I mean, they, their attention is being held and, and they're, they are enraptured in this wonderful story of the resurrect, or the death and, the, and then, of course, the eventual resurrection of Christ. And, and here's, here she is with her song. And it actually, it killed, it killed the spirit in the place. And instantly, people began to poke each other. They began to laugh. They began to, unfortunately, they began to um, forget what they were there for. Now, I want to tell you something this morning. When you became a Christian, you became part of the family of God. And the Bible is very clear that everybody has a part, has a place in the body of Christ. And the thing that you and I are called to do is to find our place in the family. It's not to dictate to Jesus, who is the head. It's not to dictate to Jesus what it is that we will do in the body, but rather it's to say, how can I serve? And once you've made up your mind that that's what you're going to do, then you need to say, this is my family. This is where I belong. This poor girl, she had a value. And her value was, it's all about me. It's all about my agenda being fulfilled. For those of us who are followers of Christ, if you have that value, then there's a good chance that you have not either yet been, been truly converted, you've not really, you don't fully understand what it means to be a Christian, or secondly, uh, it means that you are extremely immature and uh, you don't know the teachings of Christ, who said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That, my friends, is the attitude, or supposed to be the attitude of every believer. Is that your attitude this morning? These attitudes, remember uh, these values, we talked about them. And uh, just a quick reminder of what these values are. They uh, are as follows. Um, they're there somewhere. Okay, very good. Thank you. And here it is. Uh, maybe we could read that together. It's a collection of guiding, usually positive principles, especially regarding personal conduct. So the values determine the way that we live our lives. Secondly... They generate our behavior. 
So whatever you value is going to determine how you act and how you live your life. And then thirdly, uh, it answers the question as to why people do what they do. And so here's the thing this morning. If, if you understand and if you believe that, that God has a place for you in his family and that you belong to the family of God and that you need to find your place within the family, that will radically change the way that you live your life and the way that you spend your time. And so what we're seeing right now in North American, amongst North American believers and in North American churches is, is, is an amnesia, a forgetting of what it is that we've been called to. Did you know that you've been called to be part of the family of God? And we're going to talk about what this means in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to remind you um, of what the life values are of all real Christians. And so here it is. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word. And so if you love Jesus, if you call yourself a real Christian today, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to adopt the values of Christ, and you are going to leave your own values behind. Because your values are values that were inherited from your parents. And your values that you inherited from your parents are, in fact, sinful by nature. Did you know that? You see, Pastor, are all of them sinful? Well, here's the thing. Before you were converted, the Bible says that, that your heart was only evil all the time. Your heart was inclined toward evil all the time. And even when we try to do good, and even when we think we're doing good, the question is this, is what are the motives behind it? Why are you doing good? Are you doing good to get something? Are you doing good so that you can get brownie points, if you can get special recognition? And we could go on and on about this for hours. So, but here's the thing that we need to do, is rather than trying to, listen to me, rather than trying to realign or to straighten out or to fix the value system that we were born with, Jesus comes along and says, you need a brand new value system. Let's get rid of the old value system and give you a brand new one. In fact, that's what it means to become a Christian, is that you now have the values of Jesus. And look, at, let's just be reminded then of what we've been hearing over the last few weeks. First of all, we are called to be like Jesus, asking ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? This has got to be something that you're asking yourself all day long, from the moment you get up in the morning to the time that you go to bed at night. You're constantly concerned with being like Jesus. You want to be like him. You want to live like him. You want to act like him. You want to ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? Secondly, you want to walk with Jesus, which, which we talked about last week. You want to make sure you're doing your devotions. You want to make sure that you have this, this vibrant relationship with God, this time spent in his word, this time spent in prayer. I could ask everybody to raise their hand today if they did their devotions every day this week, but I won't, I won't embarrass anybody. But here's the thing. You need to be doing your devotions every day. You need to be praying. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to have your daily bread. So many times I'll talk to Hank and say, Hank, how are you? And he's just good. Or just just uh, doing our daily bread. Ann and I are doing our daily bread together. And, uh, you know, he might think that he's just reporting on, on his activities the way he would report on any activity. But the fact of the matter is that this is the most important uh, beginning of your day, to spend time in the presence of God. Thirdly, and I have to say this to you, 
that the only way that you're going to be able to be like Jesus is if you walk with him. Because here's the thing. You can have, you can have bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? You can have a cap that says, what would Jesus do on it? You can have a T-shirt. You can have a chain. You can have, have pictures on your wall that say, what would Jesus do? You can have it on the dash of your car. You can have it on your bumper. But the point is this. You'll never know what Jesus would do if you don't know who he is, if you're not walking with him. So here's the thing. We, we want to be like Jesus. We want to ask ourselves a question, what would Jesus do? We want to make it our priority every day, because this is our value. We want to walk with Jesus, doing our devotions, and thirdly, we want to live with Jesus. We want to live with Jesus on a daily basis. Uh, we were going to do another video, but I'm going to skip it right now, okay, just because we're a bit of short on time. Uh, I, want us to, to, I want us to consider this morning what it would be like to live with Jesus. What would it be like? What would it be like if, if every morning you woke up in the morning and, and Jesus was there? What would you do? You'd probably tell him how you felt. You'd probably tell him what you'd like to do that day. You'd probably tell him what's on your mind, how you're feeling. You'd want to tell him about your pains. Uh, you want to talk, tell him about your dreams, about the things you want to see happen in the future. You would be really, uh, really blessed to be able to, to walk with Jesus day by day. In fact, there were a group of disciples who did just that, and they are called what? The, the Twelve. They were called the apostles. They are called the twelve disciples. They followed Jesus around. They walked and lived with Jesus on a daily basis. Now, I want you to recognize something. When you, when you live with Jesus, when you, when you enjoy his presence, it always happens, listen to this, it always happens in the context of two or more other believers. Did you know that? This is what Jesus says, and we're going to take a look at that in just a moment. This is what Jesus says uh, about his family. Um, Jesus is, uh, is actually out preaching, and he's teaching, and he's healing people, and he's just generally doing the will of the Father. And um, Jesus enters into a house, and again, a crowd is gathered. And, uh, and, the, and the scripture says in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, there's so many people, and Jesus is so busy, and there's, there's, there's so much need, and, and, and there's people that need to be, have demons cast out of them. It says that they were so busy that, that Jesus and his disciples were not even able to eat. Now his family, Jesus' family heard about this, and they went to take charge of him, the scripture says. They went to, in other words, they went to... They went to get a hold of him and to, you know, to take him away from the crowd because they said he's out of his mind. Imagine saying Jesus is out of his mind. But that's exactly what Jesus' earthly family said about him and his disciples. Jesus, listen to this. This is really important to get this because this is something that absolutely every one of us is going to experience in our Christian life. Listen, Jesus' earthly family said that Jesus and his disciples were out of their mind. And they tried to come and stop what Jesus was doing. Now, here's what Jesus says. Let's look at that next verse. He replied to those who had come to take Jesus away, and he said this, Who is my mother and my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What makes you part of the family of Jesus is that you partner with Jesus in doing his will. Now here's the thing. When you partner in doing 
the will of the Father. When, you're, when your heart's desire is to adopt and live by the values of Jesus that we just listed just a few moments ago, and suddenly, folks, you are living as members of the family of God. Now, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and how does he teach them to pray? They were to address God not by his name, which was what? Yahweh or Jehovah. And you've heard of, how many have heard of Jehovah's Witnesses? How many have had them come to the door? Anybody like that? And how many just don't know what to do with those people? Anybody like that? You're just not sure exactly what to do. Well, the Bible tells us that, that we're supposed to love them, and, uh, and, and, and that's it. But here's the thing. They are, not, they are not part of the family of God. You say, Pastor, are you casting judgment? No, I'm not. I'm not casting judgment at all. What I am telling you, though, is that what makes us family, what makes us part of the church, is that we have a common father. And Jesus did not teach his disciples to address God as Jehovah. He taught them to address God as Father. Now, this is an absolute revolutionary thing. You've heard me say this before. Never before had anybody ever heard of anyone addressing God as Father. But here's the thing. Jesus comes along, and he says to his disciples that they are to address God by their relationship to him. They're to address God by their relationship to him. They're to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Suddenly, we recognize that there is a very personal and intimate relationship that we have with our God in heaven. And guess who is responsible for making it happen? It's Jesus. Now, when we talk about the great work of Christ, what do we normally talk about? Jesus came to this earth to do what? To die on the cross for our sins, right? And to, and to pay the price, to pay the penalty for our sin, and to take away our sin. But what we so often fail to talk about is that not only did Jesus take away our sin, but he established a brand new family. It's called the family of God. And all of those who do the will of the Father in heaven now become part of that family, and are in fact, as Jesus says, the brother and the sister of Jesus. Did you know that? When you come to God in prayer, you're coming as brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ. Now, I want, to, I want that to sink into your heart for just a moment. I want you to think about the, the significance of that. When you became a Christian, you became part of an eternal family. Remember, it's talking about the earthly family, the earthly family that comes along and, and says, don't do it like that, don't do this, don't do that, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. Listen, suddenly you become part of an eternal family. When you were born again, you entered into Jesus' family. The first time you were born, you were born into the family that you are part of right now. But when you were born again, you were born into Jesus' family. And right at the start of Jesus' ministry, we see the tension that exists between the earthly family and the heavenly family. The earthly family and what I call the eternal family. And here's the thing. I do a lot of counseling. The number one, the one, number one counseling that I do would be uh, for marriage counseling. But the second is how to deal with family members. I people come all the time. How do I deal with my family? 
My family is so demanding. My family can be so harsh. My family can be so mean. My family doesn't like the fact that I'm, that I'm on fire for Jesus. Anybody experience something like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. I experienced this. As soon as I became a Christian, my grandmother, who I loved with all my heart, and I thought she was the most wonderful lady on earth, suddenly she became like an enemy to me. It was absolutely bewildering to me. I couldn't understand what happened. She began to make fun of me. She began to make fun of my Jesus that I, that I just put my faith in. She, she mocked me. When I, became a, when I went into the ministry, she mocked my choice. She mocked it and made fun of it. She, said, she talked about pie in the sky. She made jokes about it. And I learned very early on in my walk with God that the most important family is not my earthly family. It's my eternal family. Now, here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you're experiencing tension in your family, don't be surprised at that. Even Jesus had trouble with his own family. Even his own family said he's out of his mind. Have you had family members say things like that to you? My grandmother did. You know what my grandmother said to me one day? She says, Alan, you're getting a little bit too serious with this church stuff. I think you should cool off for a little bit. Stay away from church for a while, she said. Go do what young people like to do. And I said, what would that be, Mom, Grandma? Well, you know, the things that young people do. You mean go and get drunk, Grandma? Go try some drugs? Would that... Oh, no, no, not that. Well, what exactly did you want me to do? She couldn't answer that question. My friends, you become part of a heavenly family, an eternal family. Now, don't anybody go away from here saying, Pastor Allen says I can hate my earthly family. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I can reject them. I don't have to ever talk to them again. I'm not saying that. What I want you to remember is that you are part of an eternal family first and foremost. And that is what will decide how you live your life and how you function. An eternal family comes first. Because here's the thing. So often many of us have earthly families that are, are, not, are not believers. And uh, your fellowship with them, your connection to them, will be very limited because the Bible is clear. You can't, you can't live in light and in darkness at the same time. How many know that? You, can't, you cannot straddle both sides of the fence. And this is what, the, what uh, Apostle Paul was saying when he said, what fellowship does darkness have with light? You can't do that. You can't please both your eternal family and your earthly family because so often what we've got happening are two different sets of values. Your earthly family, if they don't know Christ, have a very different set of values. And if, if you can feel comfortable with them and go along with their set of values, then probably there's a good chance that you have either not yet put your faith in Christ or you have forgotten what it means to be a follower of Christ. Plain and simple as that. When you live the values of the eternal family, you're going to do, the Bible says, you're going to do the will of your Father. And I'm going to tell you this right now, it's going to drive your earthly family crazy. Even some of your earthly family who are, who are followers of Christ, my experience has been this. The more excited, the more on fire, the more enthusiastic you are about doing the will of the Father, the more you're going to make your earthly family mad. Unless they're equally as enthusiastic about serving and following God as you are. 
Now, here's, a, here's a, the thing I need to tell you. At the very heart of this family is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is at the heart of our family. Did you know that? You take Jesus out of the picture, there's no family. If Jesus isn't there, then you've just got an institution. You've got a, a community club. You may as well go play bingo. You may as well set up the tables and watch, watch, play bingo or, or just watch a movie. But when Jesus is at the center of your fellowship, my friends, that's when you've got true church. That's when you've got a true family happening. Because here's what Jesus says. Look what it says here. For where two or three gather... Read that. You read that. Jesus is the heart of this family. And here's the thing. Jesus says that when two family members get together, he's going to be present. Um, I've I got to tell you, if you want to talk about the mystical part of the Christian faith, if you want to talk about that supernatural, the divine, that otherworldly experience, if you want to know something that is not of this earth, not of this world, it happens when two people, two or more people get together in the name of Jesus. People who are not Christians might call it something like something magical happening. Can't explain it. Don't understand it. Can't explain it. But know that something very special is happening. I cannot tell you how many times I get people come through these doors not Christians, they sit in a service, and they get up and they say, I can't explain it to you, Pastor Duncalf, but this is, uh, this is something very special taking place here. I don't understand it, but whatever it is that's going on around here, I want that. I can tell you, my friends, what it is that they're experiencing. They are experiencing the very presence of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know the very presence of Jesus Christ, then what you need to do is you need to get together with another believer. Because whenever two or more gather in the name of Jesus, something very spiritual, transcendental, begins to happen. Believers begin to connect up and Jesus appears. It's, it's supernatural. And my friends, this is why you cannot miss gathering together as believers. This is why you need to get together. Because this is what it means to live with Jesus. Jesus' presence is always felt when two or more Christians get together. But you need to notice something. It says that when two or three gather, read it, in my name. Oh, okay, here's the thing. How many know that when Christians get together, Jesus isn't always there? How many know that? How many know he's supposed to be there, but he's not always there? Jesus shows up when we get together in his name. Some gathering of Christians are, in fact, very anti-Christ. Some Christians, when they get together, they do nothing but gossip. They talk about other people. There's a stream of negativity. There's criticism. There's judgment. There's bitterness. There's... There's all kinds of angry talk. I can tell you Jesus isn't there. Okay? And here's, here's what's confusing. <laughs> you want to know what's confusing to the world? 
is they see people who call themselves Christians getting together, and then they hear things and see things that doesn't look very Christian. And you know what they end up saying? They say, those people are just a bunch of hypocrites. Why is that? It's because those people who call themselves Christians are getting together, but they're not getting together in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, when you get together like that, when you are not inviting the presence of Jesus, then what you are doing, my friends, if you're doing anything or saying anything that is anti-Christ, is uh, you are actually casting out the presence of Jesus. A very, very dangerous thing to do. What happens when you get together with other believers? Do you invite the name of Jesus? I'm going to invite you to do something today. I'd like you, maybe do it over lunch. Maybe just you and your wife or you and your husband over lunch. I want you, before you do anything, I want you, before your fellowship, to stop and invite the presence of Jesus. In other words, do what Jesus says. Gather in his name. And, and, and what you're doing, you're simply saying, Jesus, come and be with us as we fellowship together. Come and be with us as we eat together. Come and be with us as we talk together. I'm going to tell you something. When that happens, something miraculous begins to take place. Suddenly you feel your heart begin to be encouraged. Suddenly that weight that's been burning you, it, it lifts. Suddenly you begin to feel a joy in your heart. Suddenly you begin to feel a peace in your heart. My friends, this is what happens when you live with Jesus. And the way that you live with Jesus is by making sure you connect with one another in the name of Jesus. If you want the presence of God, then connect with other founding members. Plain and simple as this. Now here's the thing. When, when you meet together in the name of Jesus, the miraculous does take place. And you will begin to see God answering prayers in, in miraculous ways, in ways that you just never dreamt possible. Now, this is not just my idea. This, Jesus actually says that in the verse prior to verse 20. He says this, Again, I truly tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Power, my friends, great power when we get together in the name of Jesus. This is why you have to make this your value to connect with believers on a regular basis. In fact, look, 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 look what it says here, the next verse. It says, you should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. And the Bible says this, do this even more as you see the day coming. What is that day? That's the day of Jesus' return. In fact, the pastor who wrote this in, in, in Hebrews He's saying, look, as the days get more and more evil, you need to meet with each other more, not less. You know what's amazing? And, and some of you older timers, old timers have grown up in the church, uh, been around for a while, and I guess I, I qualify as one of those old timers. Uh, you remember the day when, when, when people were in church at least three times on a Sunday. And there was a time when people were in church even more than that. It, I was talking to my friend in England. He said, uh, in, in, when he started in the ministry some 40 years ago, he said there would be Sunday school in the morning, and then there would be, uh, before that actually, there would be a time of prayer for those who, who could come early enough. They'd pray, and then they would have their Sunday school service, and then they'd have their morning service, and then they'd have their evangelistic service in the afternoon, and then they would come for the evening service. 
And you say, oh, that sounds, uh, that sounds, uh, uh, sounds like torture <laughs> to have to cut the church that many times. Well, the interesting thing, my friend, is that that's when the church knew its greatest growth. Not just over in England, but here in North America. And, and, and the scripture supports that. As the day approaches when Jesus returns, don't meet less, but meet more. You need to be together. Because when you get together, that's when Jesus shows up. So here's the thing. You and I, when we became Christians, we became part of the family of Jesus. And we recognize that the very heart of this family is Jesus himself. When we come together, the miraculous takes place. Jesus shows up. I need to tell you one other thing then about this family, and then we'll close. Is that um, too many people have a, an extremely immature understanding of what it means to go to church, what it means to attend church. They believe that it's sort of all about me. You know, I became a Christian, better do my duty, better show up. They don't understand that it's in the context of the church family that they experience real growth and development. That in the context of the family, they maintain, listen to me, they maintain their balance. How many people are on the fence? They're in the church, then they're out of the church, and they're back again. They're serving God today. Next week, they're not serving God. They stay there high as a kite, and the next day they're in the very depths of despair, and they're all over the place. How many know today that that's not God's plan for your life as a believer? God doesn't want you to be all over the map. He doesn't want you to be riding a roller coaster. He wants you to know balance. He wants you to know consistency. He wants you to know the joy of daily living with him. And the way that that happens is by connecting with other believers. You need your church family to keep your, your spiritual balance. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 to 34. He said, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And he says this to the Christians in Corinth. He says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. If you're on a spiritual roller coaster, then, my friend, it's probably because you have just disconnected yourself from the family of God. You need the family of God. You may not even know it. You may not even realize it. But it's in the context of the family of God that you grow and stay strong. Let me just say this in conclusion. Some people are on this quest hopping from church to church, hoping to find what their soul longs for. They're, they're looking for something. Sometimes they'll call it the presence of God. They're looking for a place called home. Something rather new that, that, uh, that I hadn't heard of when I first started the ministry, but I've heard about it in the last maybe five, ten years, is a, is a condition that psychologists have isolated in some of their patients called uh, attachment disorder an inability to bond with other people. And here's what they discovered. At the root of this attachment disorder, this, this inability to bond with other people, this inability to become part of the group, and all of us know people like that. Who just, they just can't seem to get connected to people. 
At the root of, at the root of this attachment disorder is, believe it or not, a self-centeredness, putting self first. If you want to know the joy of living with Jesus, the joy of, of his family, of belonging to his family, then what you're going to have to learn to do is you're going to have to learn to live within the family. You're going to have to learn how to be unselfish. You're going to have to learn how to put other people first. You're going to have to learn how to put your church family above yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the few pastors who stood up to Hitler and who refused to adopt the Third Reich's instructions for the, for the church. Yeah, the Third Reich, Hitler's Third Reich, tried to control how the church operated, how the family of God operated. Bonhoeffer saw it as, a, as blasphemous, absolutely um, impossible. He stood up against Hitler and he was immediately thrown into prison. Listen to what he said just before he went to his death. He was visited by several Christians who had the courage to go and spend time with him. He said he felt, he felt the presence of God. He knew that God was near, but he said it was not until some of those courageous brothers and sisters actually came to see him in prison before he was going to his death, that he experienced what he believed that absolutely every single believer ought to experience. He said he felt, he felt Jesus in his midst. He said he never had really noticed it before, but it wasn't until his life literally was hanging in the balance and he began to recognize how utterly and completely he depended upon the family of God. If you're here this morning and you are feeling a struggle of life, maybe you're tempted to stay away from church and maybe you know people who are actually staying away from church because they're going through a hard time. What you need to do is you need to call them up and say, come back to church. Come back into the presence of Jesus. Because when two or more are gathered together in his name, Jesus is there in the midst of them. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we want to say thank you for your church. We want to say thank you for this family that we belong to, this family that you've placed us in. God, help us to recognize today that this family has been handpicked by you for us. That this is a place where we need to be. This is a family we need, and this family needs us. And God, help us, we pray, if we're feeling disconnected, to understand that the solution to that disconnection is not to go looking for somewhere else, because the problem is not with the church, it's with ourselves. God, help us to understand that what you're calling us to is to live and be unselfish. To say, family of God, hear my, how can I serve? How can I be a blessing? Father, thank you this morning for your great love and thank you for your family. Thank you, O oh God, that it's in the context of this family that we have and know the presence of Almighty Christ. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, as we go from this place now, we pray. Make your face to shine upon each one. Give peace. Give joy. And as 
these brothers and sisters fellowship in the cafe. May they know that supernatural presence of Jesus. May joy and peace arise in the hearts of your people. We pray it for Christ's sake. And everyone said it?